Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. As the 2021 hurricane season quickly approaches, experts are projecting another busy season. How will it compare to the record 2020 season that brought us 30 named storms? And what should we be looking for this year? We bring in one of the top experts in the world, Dr. Rick Knapp of the Weather Channel. Let's geek out with the former director of the National Hurricane Center and get prepared for the hurricane season of 2021. Rick, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Marshall, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and you've had quite a, a lineup of guests in the past year, and uh, I hope people are listening in greater and greater numbers every week. I, I think they are, and, you know, based on the feedback that I get out there in social media, and, you know, certainly you add to that sort of imminence of guest list, so I thank you for joining us once again. Uh, Dr. Nab is the a hurricane expert at the Weather Channel. He's the former director of the National Hurricane Center uh, and someone that I think people just see as one of the top voices of knowledge on hurricanes. And so, Rick, first of all, before we kind of look forward at the 2021 hurricane season, any sort of summary thoughts of yours on the 2020 hurricane season, things that caught your eye or things that we learned from? Well, I'm actually most concerned about how many hurricanes and major hurricanes there were. I mean, the 30 storms got a lot of attention, but, you know, about a third of those were relatively weak and relatively short-lived. But having the number of hurricanes and major hurricanes that we had, the number of rapid intensifiers, especially near land, the late season major hurricanes that we had, uh, that was very, very concerning. And I, I also get really concerned that people might let their guard down this year because they think, well, we had such a busy year last year, this year will be better. And there's always a difference between how busy a season is and how bad it is. And people might look sideways or think sideways when I say this, but for some areas, 2021 could end up being worse of a hurricane season than 2020 because some folks didn't get hit that bad or at all in 2020. It's not about the numbers. It's not about, uh, you know, the overall activity as much as it is on a personal family and business level. Did you get hit? And are you ready if you were to get hit this year? Yeah, that's a great point. That's something that even someone brought up to me. It's like, wow, I just, you know, I thought it was hurricane season, but Florida didn't really get hit that badly this last season. I mean, everything was in the Gulf of Mexico. And so I think it does sort of breed that sort of uh, everything's local <laughs> mentality. And well, we were okay last year. So and the whole East Coast. Yeah, I mean, easy yeah. Yes, hit the East Coast and you know there were some s serious impacts, but the East Coast has had far worse years in the past than 2020. Well, sp speaking of that point I just made um, about the Gulf, and I think the state of Louisiana, I can't remember exactly how many times I saw a graphic of how many times the state of Louisiana was in a hurricane watch or warning box in the last year. It's quite a bit of time. Talk to us, Rick, from a, let's talk from a geek out perspective, since this is Weather Geeks. 
What was going on that that we were seeing so much activity, perhaps in the Gulf, as opposed to, say, the East Coast or along the Florida East Coast? Uh, what, what, what meteorologically was the setup that was allowing that? You know, you know a, a lot of this has to do with things that we've seen in other past seasons that have been Gulf loaded, like 2005, that are opposite to years where things seem to spend more time out to sea, like 2010. And I think a couple of things are at play. One is what's going on in the eastern half of the basin? How fast are systems developing into tropical storms and hurricanes? Because the sooner they form, Ironically, a lot of the times, the, the fewer of them make it all the way across. It's those seemingly innocuous tropical waves that leave the west coast of Africa and then develop late in the game. You know, they might struggle as they're going near or over the Caribbean and then boom, they develop at the last minute, you know, speaking of the whole basin. And a, a lot of that was going on. If you think of where, where Laura and Delta and Sally and Hannah did their thing, you know, they have origins way out in the East Atlantic, but they didn't get organized until they got to the western half of the basin. Um, and also, the you know, and so the atmospheric conditions that were going on in the eastern part of the Atlantic weren't, you know, and in the main development region of the Atlantic weren't as ultra conducive as they were in the Gulf, where my gosh, we had you know, just the uber warm waters. I mean, most of the Atlantic Basin's been above average in sea surface temperatures for a while now, but the Gulf was just gangbusters, yeah. uh, you know, conducive for development and for rapid intensification. So um, in some ways we don't have all the answers as to why uh, that played out that way, but I think those are the general reasons. And you, you've you mentioned a couple of times rapid intensification. And again, for a lot of our Weather Geeks listeners, they're certainly aware of what that is. But talk to us about what the rapid intensification really means, how it's defined, because that's a very specific set of criteria that we use to define that and why it worries you as a former Hurricane Center director and, and someone that deals in the emergency management side. Yeah, historically, this has to do with how much the intensity of a tropical cyclone goes up. And the, the benchmark we've used for a long time is 30 knots in 24 hours in the intensity. You know, so the 35 miles an hour, roughly, um, in 24 hours. So if you go from, uh, you know, a, a 75 mile an hour hurricane, and then you are 110 mile an hour hurricane exactly 24 hours later, you've undergone rapid intensification. Now, well, there's so, so much to unpack there. Number one is it's worse when it happens right before landfall because people have prepared for or at least mentally prepared for one thing and then they wake up the next day and they're getting hit by something much stronger. So rapid intensification leading right up to landfall uh, is especially problematic. And we had a lot of the Gulf systems last year do that. Um, forecasting it is has gotten better, but we're still having a lot of trouble pinpointing exactly when it's going to happen. Like you see two or three days out, oh, the conditions over the Gulf are conducive for rapid intensification and eventually it happens. But did we get the timing right? And did we get the magnitude right? Not always. Uh, most major hurricanes undergo rapid intensification on the way to getting there. Uh, but the, the challenge is that it is very difficult to forecast to the accuracy level that we can prepare the people who are going to be affected by it. Um, it's, it's a difficult problem, but I will say, though, that scientifically we are making progress on it. Uh, the, the rapid intensification index 
that was moved into operations at the Hurricane Center over the last uh, many years. Uh, it's been upgraded and you can start to see the Hurricane Center you know, giving us a little bit of a heads up a little bit better than they used to. But the last thing I'll say about it is, Marshall, is that some of these hurricanes are peaking out a lot higher than they used to. And I think we we, we get this jaw dropping feeling sometimes. It got I, I thought rapid intensification was going to happen, but this high, yeah, I mean, it has exactly. really become hard to keep up with some of these rapid intensifiers that are peaking out higher than they used to. Exactly. And I know there are some studies that are out there that are looking at whether the sort of warming associated with our climate change is, is contributing to that. I mean, there's, a, I don't, I don't see how it's not. I, I, I agree. Be part of the equation. Yeah. yeah I, I absolutely agree. I mean, but, just but we do have, sense. but we do have better technology to measure how high uh, they've gotten. I don't think we know how high some of the hurricanes pre-satellite pre-recon peaked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's always a challenge when we start talking about hurricanes and climate change, because we have a truncated record, because what a lot of what we know about hurricanes comes from satellites. And of course, we haven't had those, but if, uh, several decades, uh, we haven't had them back in 1700, for example, but that still doesn't preclude the notion. And I know Dr. Nab agrees here that climate change is likely affecting uh, hurricanes, tropical cyclones, and various basins around the world in various ways. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast. Talking with Dr. Rick Nab, hurricane expert at the Weather Channel, former director of the National Hurricane Center. One more thing before we really sort of transition to a discussion of the 2021 season. I, I read somewhere that they're reconsidering Hurricane Iota. Uh, they're looking back at uh, it, whether it was a different uh, sort of intensity storm. Is that correct? Is, and is that typical that they will go back and relook at a storm? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it is the official one of the official responsibilities of the Hurricane Center to do a post event analysis of every tropical cyclone that they write a forecast for. And that results in an official tropical cyclone report from the Hurricane Center. And because last season was so busy, uh, there's been a lot more analysis post storm to be done in this off season than in past years. It's kind of like 2005. Uh, I did reports for Katrina and Rita, for example. And uh, in both cases, we made changes to the analyzed intensity. It is common for there to be modifications uh, when you have a lot more time to analyze it, a lot more data. And you know, in real time, Marshall, the, the, the analysis is one-sided. You only have information up to that time, and then you have to come out with information about what's going on with the storm at that time. After the fact, you have uh, the benefit of data that came in after that time, and you might have some data that you didn't even see in real time. So it is quite common and um, legitimate for the Hurricane Center to make some changes to the analyzed intensity. After the fact, you saw the the posthumous upgrades to uh, to gamma and to zeta. Uh, so that that's pretty typical. Yeah, and I think I remember uh, Michael as well had some uh, some reconsideration or at yeah. least yeah. He um, made a cat five after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. <laughs> 
And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm talking with Dr. Rick Nab, hurricane expert at the Weather Channel, and just someone that you know I turn to uh, during the hurricane season. I, I flip on the Weather Channel uh, when hurricanes are out there to see what Dr. Nab's saying. And so it's really uh, an honor to have Dr. Nab back on the podcast. He's a friend of the show. I want to now pivot to a discussion of 2021. So. Uh, everyone, Colorado State, uh, the weather company, and, and all of it, I don't even know if you all do your own or it's in conjunction with the weather company, but everyone's put out their early season projections, and all numbers that I've seen suggest an active season again. What's your perspective? What's your take and why? Well, shortly after the 2020 hurricane season ended, I, I think a lot of us saw this kind of projection for the 2021 season coming because if you look at history, when you have a busy hurricane season during a La Nina year, like we did in 2020, it's really hard to get the ocean atmosphere system to, to do a complete 180 and go all the way over to El Nino, which is what would generally be the uh, the most likely contributor to a below average hurricane season. But in the absence of El Nino, uh, either La Nina or neutral, um, you're likely to have an uh, average to above average season. And, and you only have to look back a few years to see this happening. 2017, La Nina year, pretty busy year and a pretty bad one in the Atlantic Basin. And then, you know, did we uh, have a, a year off from hurricanes in 2018? No, of course not. We that was the Michael year. <laughs> you know, so the, the numbers, the overall numbers of storms and hurricanes went down in 2018 compared to 17, but we had the likes of Florence and Michael, so it was still a very bad year. Uh, so we have, we have now departed the La Nina uh, and we're kind of in a neutral phase. And, you know, there's a very, very small chance that we would make it all the way to El Nino by the peak of the hurricane season. So this is kind of the way the ocean atmosphere system has worked in the past. Uh, there's every reason to believe with uh, a neutral or La Nina year being more likely than an El Nino. Uh, and that the sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic Basin are still way above average. I mean, that seems to be a permanent condition in some ways, you know, uh, and we're still uh, you know, two and a half decades into what has been uh, an active era overall. Uh, I, I can't see any reason to have confidence that we would have a below average season. But Marshall, you and I have talked about this for years, right? Again, a difference between how busy and how bad, even if it ends up being an average to below average season. That's less likely. But even if that happens, it could still be a bad or worse hurricane season for you where you live if the one or two storms come your way. So, you know, I think people tend to look at the seasonal forecast as some glimmer of hope or some actionable item that they can say, well, maybe I don't need to do X, Y, or Z to be ready for hurricane season because I'm going to get the year off or right. whatever. Uh, you, you can't play it that way. And any hurricane season can be bad. And I think we're going to have more chances at it than you would like this year. I want to unpack before we leave this topic, I want to unpack the whole La Nina El Nino discussion uh, that you talked about. Uh, tell the listeners why those things affect. I think people kind of know what El Nino and La Nina are. El Nino is the sort of periodic warming of the East Pacific Ocean waters. Uh, La Nina is sort of the opposite situation where you have abnormal cooling and we understand a lot of things about these these sort of ocean atmosphere interactions and teleconnection patterns to the jet stream and so forth. But what is it specifically about those 
atmosphere, ocean states that impacts the Atlantic hurricane season. Yeah, it's still when when you back up and think about it, it is still fascinating um, and you know scary sometimes when it leads to a busy season on the Atlantic side. How much of an influence the sea surface temperatures in the Pacific and the Central and Eastern Pacific, and how that modifies the atmospheric circulations in the Pacific and Atlantic, how much of an influence that has historically had on Atlantic hurricane seasons. And, you know, in, in the El Nino years, you, you get that warmer than average area of sea surface temperatures in the Central and East Pacific, and that causes atmospheric circulations that tend to cause more up in the East Pacific, and then it comes across Central America and you get more wind shear uh, across the Caribbean and maybe the main development region of the Atlantic. Sometimes you get more sinking, so you get that circulation developing in that direction, and that can lessen hurricane activity on the Atlantic side. Last year we had the opposite, the, the La Nina, the cooler than average sea surface temperatures in the tropical East Pacific. Then you tend to get more down over there and more up on the Atlantic side and then less wind shear. Uh, with everything kind of blowing easterly uh, across the tropical Atlantic. And, you know, that's, that's the quick version of the physical reason for why it has such an effect. But you look at the historical data, and just look at the history of major hurricanes per year in the Atlantic Basin, and the big ups and downs that you have from year to year. And there is a strong correlation between lesser numbers of major hurricanes and El Nino. And, more major hurricanes during neutral and especially La Nina years. And uh, there are variations in, in there, but it, it's a strong correlation. But again, even in an El Nino year, you can have major hurricanes making landfall. And by the way, the Gulf of Mexico doesn't seem to much care. Yeah. <laughs> or El Nino, you can exactly. have a busy year in the Gulf, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think early in the season, uh, don't we tend to see more activity as we get into June 1st and maybe sometimes even slightly before June 1st? Uh, it, it, it's really in the is it the Gulf and the Caribbean. We don't really get into that main development region of the sort of Cape Verde season yet. Now, much of the activity tends to start a bit closer to home. Is that right? Yeah, in fact, you know, the season tends to start with more storms uh, forming on our doorstep, Gulf, Western Caribbean, Southwest Atlantic. Then you get the main development region coming into play as we go into the peak of the season, and then, and then things form everywhere. Right. And then you get back you, in October, things come back to the Western Caribbean and you start getting homegrown storms again. So, uh, yeah, the Atlantic hurricane season is the most variable, the most peaked when you get to August, September, uh, and the hardest to forecast in, I would argue, than any basin in the world. And speaking of basins in the world, I'm talking with Dr. Rick, Rick Nabb, hurricane expert at the Weather Channel here on Weather Geeks Podcast. And by the way, thank you for joining us and tuning in to this uh, discussion. Um, just as we're taping this, we're watching uh, or just watch the cyclone sort of in India move into that region. And I'm going to talk to you about something that we haven't talked about before, Dr. Nab, because we've not had a pandemic. But we had Cyclone moving into India uh, recently, uh, really bad one. I, they're uh, fairly intense for that particular part of the Arabian at this time point in time. But there, it's a place that's also dealing with COVID. And I want to circle back now to us because we dealt with COVID last year during the hurricane season, and now we're still dealing with it and we're still dealing with vaccine. Again, as someone that's a hurricane expert, someone that has led the agency in the United States dealing with hurricanes, National Hurricane Center, uh, talk to us about what 
your perspective would be in that situation as the hurricane center director or as an emergency manager when you've got all of these hurricanes making landfall or coming into the Gulf or Louisiana and then you got people that are trying to quarantine or social distance that just seemed like it would be a sort of emergency management nightmare and I still we're not out of the woods for 2021 because I suspect if we get an active season that could impact vaccine rates or so forth so what are your general thoughts on the hurricane season juxtaposed on within a pandemic environment? Well, last year, what it did was make planning for the hurricane season even more imperative. And emergency managers knew that. And so they had to modify what their evacuation plans were, what their sheltering plans were for their communities. And most of that required that people spend a little more time thinking about what is my ideal location to evacuate to? And you know, we always say uh, in every hurricane season that your ideal evacuation destination, if you ever have to evacuate, is a friend or family member's home not that far away, you know, out of the evacuation zone, out of danger, um, so that you can lessen the numbers in any one particular structure, not necessarily have to go to a public shelter, and that that home, that family or friend's home can meet your particular needs. And in a pandemic, that line of thinking became even more important because emergency managers needed to lessen the number of people, people at shelters so you can maximize social distancing. And so that people uh, who are particularly vulnerable health-wise, especially the elderly, can be with a friend or family member or near a hospital. You know, there are so many considerations in any hurricane season that the pandemic has amplified. It requires more planning in advance, not waiting until the hurricane's on your doorstep to figure out what your uh, plan is going to be because you know, your usual destinations might not be options. You might have to go farther for a shelter. Uh, and we, we talked a lot last year with emergency managers about how hotels during the pandemic with their lowered occupancy rates because of less travel were a, a, an option for additional uh, sheltering. Uh, to spread people out a little bit more. I think that's going to be a little bit less of an issue this year, but not gone. And it, it is also, I think, when you think of hurricane season and pandemic concurrently, it should give us all more motivation to prepare in advance to do everything possible to keep ourselves and our family safe. Because if we put ourselves in danger by not evacuating, by not having the supplies we need to get through the hurricane and the aftermath, what we're doing is not only putting ourselves in danger, but getting responders and healthcare workers, giving them even more to do than they already have. So let's do a favor to our heroes and keep ourselves safe so they don't have to come get us. And you know, don't drive across a water covered road this year so that a responder has to come get you. you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, we can all work together to keep ourselves safe and keep those responders uh, focusing on uh, you know, other people who probably need them even more and are in unavoidable danger. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm talking with Dr. Rick Nab, hurricane expert at the Weather Channel. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Now, Rick, I want to sort of use this last segment of Weather Channel, just two scientists in the weather enterprise talking here, uh, picking your brain as an expert. I mean, as in the last decade or so, or even in the last five years, we've seen some things evolve in the sort of hurricane toolkit over the years. I know there have been new surge mop forecast and, and graphic techniques, uh, the the emergence of the hurricane wharf or H wharf, which people are increasingly looking at, uh, new satellite capabilities and so forth. From your perspective, not necessarily just as a hurricane expert, but as a scientist that sort of thinks about these things, what have been the things that have that have come about in the last five to 10 years from your perspective that are really changing the game in terms of hurricane diagnostics and prediction? It's been the focus on the individual hazards and having products and watches and warnings for each of the individual hurricane hazards. Because back in the day, we had a hurricane warning, and that was essentially uh, used to cover everything. If you're under hurricane warning, well, then you might experience not only hurricane force winds, but storm surge and, and flooding and tornadoes and all that. And uh, especially when it comes to the water-related hazards, those products and uh, and warnings have been expanded to be more hazard specific. And that has been a critical change because you can't lump all those hazards together and treat them with the same warning and the same product because they don't all occur in the same places or at the same times. You know, hurricane force winds can occur in a different place than life-threatening storm surge that can occur in a different place from life-threatening rain-induced flooding. So things like the storm surge warning uh, that we started at the Hurricane Center and, you know, the Weather Prediction Center's uh, excessive rainfall outlook that has been given more uh, visibility, and I think for a good reason, uh, highlighting the potential over the next few days of, you know, widespread catastrophic flooding. We saw that product uh, used in advance of uh, events like Florence and Imelda. Uh, so that I think is, is mostly a public communication angle here, but I think that has been the most important change in how we deal with hurricanes in this country. Um, because, you know, ultimately, you know, there's a lot of forecasting and modeling improvements to talk about, a lot of science improvements, observational improvements to talk about, but ultimately we're in the business of keeping people safe and the public communication that all of that leads to uh, has undergone some improvements. And that's what I'm happiest to see. Yeah. And you, you all are on the front line at, at the weather channel in this. I, 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 I still think a lot of people during hurricanes and I, I'm pretty sure I don't, I don't see y'all's numbers, but I'm pretty sure the numbers spike uh, during hurricane when there's a hurricane at the weather channel, because people tune in to reliable sources and reliable voices, and you're one of those. Uh, so give us some insight into what you as the hurricane expert at the Weather Channel are doing right now as we start to approach the hurricane. I mean, again, just give us a timeline, you know, from sort of now, you know, a couple of weeks before the start of hurricane center season, rather, to the end of the hurricane season. What are you sort of thinking about and doing on a day-to-day -day basis in your role at the Weather Channel? mainly trying to give people some real world actionable things to be doing as we approach hurricane season and as we get into the hurricane season because 
there really are a lot of things that need to be done by individuals and families and businesses before there's a hurricane watch or warning out there. And waiting until that happens to do a number of things to keep you safe before, during, and after the storm usually leads to not as good of an outcome. And so we've been focusing on those real world things about getting an insurance checkup and what you can do around your yard and in your home uh, to make it uh, safer and more resilient and what sorts of things you can be doing to help others in your community. For example, I have called upon everybody to identify one elderly person, at least one in your family or in your neighborhood or a friend that you're gonna be responsible for during this hurricane season because elderly folks have disproportionately been among the casualties in past tropical cyclones. And they've obviously uh, been affected uh, in many ways disproportionately during the pandemic. And you know, we gotta take care of our elderly friends and family members and uh, there are things you can be doing now to, to identify you know, where they're going to evacuate to. Can you host them? Can you help them put up their shutters? Can you get them some supplies? Where are they gonna stay during and after a hurricane so they're near medical care? So these are things we need to be thinking about and taking action on before a hurricane is ever out there. Um, and also we're, you know, we're dealing with um, you know, flooding rains and severe weather and all kinds of things leading up to the hurricane season that are dangerous in their own right and are setting the table uh, for more flood vulnerability later in the hurricane season. When you start off the hurricane season soggy, as in much of the South and Southeast, you're more vulnerable to any rains uh, that come along. You, the trees can come down more easily. So we're looking at what are our vulnerabilities in this country and what can we do ahead of time to be more ready for them. And speaking of those vulnerabilities, we've alluded to this a little bit and kind of want to end the discussion with this because we've talked about sort of climate change and uh, I think it's increasingly not necessarily debatable. It's, it's certainly happening and there are some anthropogenic contributions. What do you see as the sort of from your perspectives as the sort of obvious ways that climate change is impacting tropical cyclones from your, I mean, I know the literature says that, you know, intensity changes is probably what we'll see mostly. People often get it wrong by saying, oh, we're going to have more hurricanes during climate. That's not what the literature necessarily says. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to make sure we're clear on sort of what the literature is telling us. But what do you see from your eye in terms of tropical cyclone activity and climate change now and in the next few years? Yeah, well, in general, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, a changing climate, a warming world is affecting tropical cyclones. And there are things that I think we're more certain of than other things. And I don't think, as as, as much as it's talked about and in, as much as it's legitimate that you know the strongest hurricanes peaking out a little higher is one of the issues. But that's actually not the one that I'm most concerned about. I'm most concerned about the slower forward motion that uh, we've seen in recent yes, years. Yes. yes, there's scientific literature to back this up, but just my own eyeballs tell me that the recent likes of Harvey, Florence, Imelda, Sally, Dorian, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you know, some of those have been really strong, some have not. Yeah, think about Dorian. Dorian just sat there over the Bahamas, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Imelda was a tropical storm for a brief moment in time as it came ashore in Texas, and it still was a devastating 
uh, flood event for Southeast Texas. Dorian was on the other end of the spectrum, one of the strongest Atlantic hurricanes we've seen, certainly one of the strongest ever hit the Bahamas, but they had in common that they sat in their one location for multiple days and water was a big part of the equation. But you, you take Hurricane Dorian and you move it just a few dozen miles farther west and you'd be talking about what could have been the worst hurricane disaster in this country's history if you take a Cat 4, Cat 5, and you stall it over metropolitan areas of central and southern Florida for multiple days, you're not just talking about wind, you're not just talking about storm surge, you talk about inland flooding and all of it happening concurrently and lasting for multiple days. I mean, the, yeah. the slow motion is what really worries me. And it, because the slow motion makes everything worse, it makes the winds last longer, it makes the storm surge go on and on and on and build up for longer. And it brings the inland flooding into play for, uh, you know, for a system that might not otherwise have caused a lot of rainfall induced flooding. I, I really am concerned about the slower forward motion and the stalling storms. I, I, Rick, I, I I agree with that's something that I've been concerned about. And as someone that spent much of my career thinking about sort of the rainfall and flooding, not just from tropical cyclones, but in general, um, you know, I, I just have. Yeah, I think the point you just made is really sort of stark. Because I think people saw what Harvey did in Houston and Harvey was a relatively weaker storm. It just sat there and rained for days and was yeah. a disaster for that reason. But think about that sort of lingering storm, but cat four. I mean, like I mean, with Dorian, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Harvey, Harvey makes landfall as a category four, but it dumps all of its flooding and, and uh, life taking rains over Southeast Texas while it's a tropical storm. Tropical storm. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you take, but like you say, Dorian is the worst combination of the two parts of Harvey. It's uh, a, a major hurricane by the wind. And then it's a big storm surge event and a flooding disaster from rainfall all in the same places. That's that's what really concerns me. Uh, so I, I think there's a little bit too much of a focus on the intensity issue and not enough focus on the water issues and the forward speed and the size of the horizontal size, perhaps getting a little larger and, you know, uh, Storms may be uh, going a little later in the season, a little farther north than they used to. Um, you know, so many location records being set. Uh, you know, so we, 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 and and I think there's a little bit too much focus on the numbers. Yes. You know? Yeah, the 30 storms last year gets a lot of attention, but that is not even close to what concerns me the most. Because again, a lot of those were relatively weak and short-lived and, uh, it, even the numbers of hurricanes and major hurricanes, if you look over history, over decades, there have been times when there's been a lot of hurricanes and major hurricanes by the numbers. So yeah. I, I'm not so sure that the numbers are changing that much over the long haul and that climate change is changing the overall numbers. But the numbers that still occur and have occurred for a long time, if they're peaking out stronger and they're moving more slowly and we have more water problems, then even if the numbers of hurricanes and major hurricanes isn't changing, their impacts, especially due to water, are almost certainly getting worse. And and, and that that's 
That's such an important point. Again, I just, and that's why I always bring this up in this, when I have you and certain experts on it's, it's gotta be a more nuanced conversation about the impacts of climate change on hurricanes and tropical cyclones, because remember there are typhoons and cyclones happening around the world are also impacted. It's gotta be more nuanced than, Oh, we're getting more hurricanes or oh, they're stronger because of climate change. There's so many other elements that Dr. Nab has just eloquently uh, discussed, but we have to end it there. But before I do, uh, it is time for the Geek of the Week. Each week, we highlight a weather weenie and awesome scientists or other budding weather geeks. This week's Geek of the Week is the Weather Geeks production team. Every week, this talented group of meteorologists and television professionals bring you the guests, production notes, and behind-the-scenes production that makes this podcast possible. If you would like to be a Geek of the Week or know someone who should, be sure to check out our social media pages. Uh, Rick Knapp, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Marshall, thanks so much for having me. It always goes by so quickly. I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it's all, it was an awesome conversation. I enjoyed it. I know that. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. Yeah.